Christ in Relationships is Dr. Joel Hunter's series, and he continues with his sixth message, Delegating Us. From the New American Standard, Dr. Hunter's text is taken from John, chapter 21, verses 12 through 19, and it reads as follows. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples ventured to question him, Who are you, knowing that it was the Lord? Jesus came and took the bread and gave them, and the fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now this he said signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, Follow me. And now, let's join Dr. Joel Hunter for his sixth message entitled, Delegating Us, as he continues in his series, Christ in Relationships. Yes, can I help you? Yeah. Uh, actually, I'm not exactly sure we're in the right place. Um, we were told we can get some help. Well, you're in the right place. What kind of help do you need? It's kind of a long story. Well, yeah. every story has its point. Why don't you get to the point? I'll better know how to help you. Maybe we are in the wrong place. Look, you need some help, right? This is the Christian Resource Center. Helping people is what we do. The problem is not one of location. It's information. So if you provide me with the proper information, I'll better know how to serve you. So what is your particular need? Well, I'm out of a job. Great. You know... We don't have any openings here right now, but if you'll fill out this employment application, I can put you on file and uh, we'll give you a call as soon as something comes up. I, I didn't come in here to fill out an application. See, the thing is, I've been out of work for six months, okay? Well, why didn't you say so? What kind of work do you do? I'm an electrician. Great. You know what? We're in touch with several contractors. Why don't you fill out this form and maybe one of them can uh, find something for you? Um, we really appreciate all of this. Um... But you see, Zach's been out of work for a very long time, and we have more immediate needs. Uh, such as? Well, we haven't been able to afford groceries. Well, that's not a problem. I tell you what. Fill out this form in triplicate, and uh, we'll have our board review your case, and we'll give you a call when the next food shipment comes in. You can't call us. You don't have a phone. We don't. Um, we lost our apartment, and this is very difficult. Well, that's not a problem. You know, we do have a homeless shelter in Pine Hills. If you'll fill out the back of this pamphlet, uh, we'll see about getting you placed. The thing is, it, it's not just us. We you have children. Three. Well, we do have access to family shelters. Well, there's one thing more. Uh, of course. Um, the children haven't had new clothes in a really long time. Well, we do have a benevolence ministry here. Uh, fill out this form and give me copies 
Excuse me, where are you going? Thank you, but I don't think you can help us out. How can you say that? I mean, what more do you want? If we offered you jobs, we offered you food, clothing, shelter. Let's go. Boy, what an attitude problem. I guess some people just don't want help. So what's missing in this picture? What is the point of help? And how easy is it in our ministry to become so desensitized, so in the routine, that we forget the central point of why we have the ministry at all? Let me uh, continue with my series. If you, will, if you have your scriptures with you and you will turn to uh, John chapter 21, we will continue talking about how... <clears throat> Jesus equips us for relationships. I, I, I probably need to apologize to you up front here. I haven't apologized to the other services, but faced a lady that was very disappointed last service that I didn't preach on Mother's Day. And uh, uh, I don't do that. I just continue the stuff. But I want to tell you what how, how fortunate you are. Three years ago on Mother's Day, I preached on hell. So <laughs> I figure I'm improving. Cut me some slack here and... Now, I, I, we really are grateful uh, for what you've done for us. But uh, we want to continue with what Jesus does through all of us, including mothers. And by the way, you'll hear yourself in this, I'm sure. Starting with verse 15. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? I want you to get the intonation of that question because this is the same Simon Peter that in a very braggadocious manner faced Jesus earlier and said, Though all of these abandon you, I will not. Only to find himself abandoning him. And so Jesus is reminding him of his frailty. Just a minute, I'll tell you why. He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he, Jesus, said to him, Tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, Shepherd my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? Why do you think he was grieved? Because he couldn't believe Jesus was so thick he couldn't get the message? No, if you'll look at the structure of this, you will see that just as Simon Peter had denied Jesus three times, so also Jesus gave him three times to repent of that sin. And to say and reaffirm, I love you, three times. He was grieved not because Jesus was th thick in the head. He was grieved because he had been thick in the heart. And he knew it. And he looked at him. And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. 
Truly I say to you that when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you to where you do not wish to go. Now, this he said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Last week, we talked about how Jesus prepares us specifically for relationships and specifically for his kind of relationships. And we said in that message that Christ empowers us to actually bring upon the earth what has been made in heaven. That when we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, it's us who is supposed to make that happen. Or who will be the vessels through which God makes it happen. Now that's a powerful authority for ministry, but Jesus would not let his disciples go without reminding them of the main thing because he knows how easily we lose the main thing. The prayer is to make the main thing keep being the main thing. That's the main thing, it's said. How do we lose the centrality of love? Well, it's very easy for people like Peter, who was a doer, who could accomplish great things, and he knew he could accomplish great things. It's very easy for Peter, who was to undergo a great deal of stress and pressure as Jesus looked down the days of his life to when he was an old man. He could see what Peter would be going through. And so, therefore, he wanted to remind him to love, to show mercy, to be tender. How did he do it? He reminded him of his own sin. He reminded him of what God had done for him. Now, most of us grow callous because we forget we've been where they are. Most of us grow callous because, because we aren't remembering our own failures and our heart is not tenderized. We took the first part of this worship service to confess our sins. Why? Because we want to make people feel bad? Of course not. Because we want to tenderize our own hearts. And when you realize what God has done for you, it helps you love better. It helps you pass it on. It helps you understand what you have to share. You know, there is that formula in Scripture. The reason Mary Magdalene was so crazy nuts in love with Jesus is because before Jesus, every man had looked at her as something to use. And she, in society's eyes, was a piece of trash. But here came this man who loved her and respected her. And she followed him. This is, by the way, in a kind of a formula in Luke chapter 7, when Jesus is eating at the house of the Pharisee, who is not very cognizant of his own sin. And he invites Jesus in so he can look a little better. And Jesus is aware of this, only in the courtyard as they are eating, this sinful woman comes in and anoints his feet with her tears and dries his feet with her hair. And this Pharisee gets agitated. 
And Jesus looks at him. His name was also Simon. And he said, Simon, let me tell you a story. And Simon says, come ahead, teacher. And he said, once there were two people who owed a certain man, and one owed him 500 denarii and the other 50 denarii, and, and the man forgave them both. Which of them do you think loved him more? And the Pharisee, Simon, said, well, I, I suppose the one with whom more was forgiven. And Jesus said, you're right. Since I walked in here, you did not anoint my feet. You did not prepare me. But this woman has not stopped. And then he said, the more you're forgiven, the more you love. There's the formula. The more we're aware of our own sinfulness, the more tender we are, the more forgiving we are, the more we can keep the main thing the main thing. Jesus looked at Peter and he looked at the ministry he would have and he knew how tough it would be. Let me know if this doesn't remind you of your ministry that Christ has given you. You see, it dealt not with systems but with people. People who were irritating. People who didn't understand. People who were not sensitive to you like Christ was telling you to be sensitive to them. People who were absolutely, some of them, ignorant and helpless. The first time he said, Simon, do you love me more than these? He said, yes, Lord, I love you. And he said, well, then tend my lambs. You know, in the Greek, these are just little helpless newborns. And they take all of your energy. You mothers know how difficult those first few years of life are. All of those kids expect 100% of your energy. And it is so physically draining. He said, tend my lambs. He said that to all of us who have people in our ministry who are ignorant or who seem stupid or who are just so naive they keep getting themselves into trouble. Tend my lambs, he said. But that is not where he stopped. He said, you will also be responsible for organizing things. The second time he said this, do you love me? The response was yes, and he said, well then, shepherd my sheep. There is in that passage the inclination that says, you will be responsible for organizing life. Now, as if being physically drained weren't enough, now we're given the responsibility to kind of organize life, this life that keeps falling apart. Because that's how the world is. That's the law of entropy. Life just continues to disintegrate into chaos. And, and the more we try to keep it together, the tougher it gets. But that's our job. Especially when we have a job with people. And we try to organize those people and they keep scattering. Jesus looked at Peter and he knew he was going to face that. And he knew this 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 desire to keep an orderly fashion about life. And he, he knew if he didn't remind Peter to love, that Peter get, would get very cold and very callous. And so he said, I know you're going to face those organizational things where you become very irritated with people and the fact that they don't pay attention and they just keep wandering off. But remember, shepherd the sheep. Then he went to the third category. The third category is the most irritating of all, I think. Because the third category, he said, 
tend my sheep. Not tend my lambs, the little lambs who don't know any better, but the full-grown sheep who ought to know better. You know, there are people in your life that aren't stupid, they're just stubborn. And they ought to know better. They're acting immaturely. You know they do know better, but they don't act like they know. And those are the ones that will probably try your patience the most. It's, it's nothing to be patient with, or it's, it's not all that much to be patient with somebody who doesn't know any better. But what about those people who do know better? When Jesus looked through Peter's life and ministry, he said, you're going to face these people. And you're going to have the temptation to do everything in your earthly power. To jump on their neck and scream, grow up! And to try every political trick you know to keep them in line. But I want you to remember one thing. They're not yours, they're mine. Tend my sheep. You do what you can, but you got to remember they're mine. You got to keep tender, Peter. And and I know that right now you're full of exuberance and enthusiasm, and maybe you'll be like that for the rest of your life. But remember to keep tem- keep tender. Some of us start out life with such exuberance, we're, we're organizational geniuses, and, and and in the in the midst of it, we lose. The whole reason we started the whole thing. we got to keep tender. One of the reasons I admire older people so much is because they've lived so many years and they finally come to the realization that you just can't make life perfect. And they're at peace with that. Some of us would be better to be at peace with that sooner. They know their own frailty enough. And, and it's kind of the difference between being a parent... And being a grandparent. You know, being a grandparent somehow becomes more mellow. Maybe it's because you don't have direct on-site responsibility, but maybe it's also because you realize there are no real emergencies in life. Life kind of evens out. And you know, you can take time to love because these emergencies aren't really emergencies. I get uh, a fax every week from Focus on the Family. H.B. Loudon has a ministry to pastors and and in this week, he had a, he had a really neat little sto- uh, description that a little girl had written about grandmothers. Now, I was very, very close to my grandmother. My grandmother practically raised me. And so everything about grandmothers just melts my heart. But listen to what this little girl wrote about grandmothers. She describes grandmothers like this. A grandmother is a lady who has no children of her own. She likes other people's little girls and boys. Grandmothers don't have to do anything except be there. They're old, so they shouldn't play hard or run. It is enough if they drive us to the market where the pretend horse is and have a lot of dimes ready. Or... If they take us for walks, they should slow down past things like pretty leaves and caterpillars. They should never say, hurry up. Usually, grandmothers are fat, but not too fat to tie your shoes. They can take their teeth and gums off. 
Grandmothers don't have to be smart. They only have to answer questions like, why isn't God married? And why do dogs chase cats? Grandmothers don't talk baby talk like visitors do because it's hard to understand. When they read to us, they don't skip parts. Or they don't mind if it's the same story all over again. Everybody should try to have a grandmother. Especially if you don't have a television. (laughs) Because they are the only grown-ups who have time. There's a main thing in there. (laughs) The main thing is the tenderness that hasn't been lost in the seeking of control. The main thing is the heart and the mercy that is still there. God knows we have a hard ministry. He knows our ministry better than we do. He knows our frustration. But He doesn't want us to forget the main thing. He doesn't want us to go for pure justice in an orderly world only. There's nothing wrong with justice, but there's something more than justice. I remember the first time I read a a, a play, Merchant of Venice, whose theme really, when you get right down to it, is mercy added to justice. I remember that great scene with Portia, who's a brilliant woman, posing as an attorney, talking to this greedy merchant, Shylock, who happened to be Jewish, but that doesn't figure into the wherewithal of it. But there is this part of the play when he is so steely and so cold and so controlled that he literally wants a pound of flesh from his opponent. And he seems to have the legal right to it. It seems to be justice. And and Portia is looking at his attitude and listening to his voice. And it's very strained. Does your voice get strained? It's very strained. And she says... The quality of mercy is not strained. It droppeth as a gentle rain from heaven upon the place beneath. It is twice blessed. It blesseth him that gives and him that takes. It is the mightiest in the mightiest. It becomes the throned monarch better than his crown. Oh, his scepter shows the fourths of temporal power, its attribute to awe and majesty, wherein lies the dread and fear of kings. But mercy is above that sceptered sway. It sits enthroned in the hearts of kings. It is the attribute of God himself. And earthly power doth then show itself likest God's when mercy seasons justice. Therefore, Jew, though justice be thy plea, though justice be thy plea, consider this. That in the course of justice, none of us should see salvation. 
we do pray for mercy. And that same prayer doth remind us all to render deeds of mercy. Deeds of mercy. That's the main thing. Scripture says that the letter of the law kills, but the Spirit gives life. We have demonstrated for us the care of someone as intense as Paul, as perfectionistic as Paul, as theologically accurate as Paul, dealing with the dunderheads of Corinth, those sheep that ought to know better. But yet, when he writes to them in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4, he says, For out of much affliction and anguish of heart I wrote to you with many tears, not that you should be made sorrowful, but that you might know the love which I have especially for you. The heart of the shepherd who has not forgotten the main thing. Let me ask you, do the people to whom you minister know that you love them? Have you reminded them? Can they sense it? Will you say, Hunter... You know, I'm sitting here, I know I should. I know I should, but I know myself, as soon as I get out there, I'm going to get in the same schedule. By the way, this somebody said in a great conversation last night, the schedule we keep in this country is absolutely ridiculous. The stress is not like this in any other country in the world, save maybe Japan. But the schedule we're on is absolutely ridiculous. And I know I'm going to get out there and I'm going to get all stressed and I'm going to want to organize everything and and I don't know how I'm going to keep this in mind. Well, Jesus gave us that answer also. As he looked down through the years of the ministry of Peter that had not yet come, he said simply, follow me. You know, Peter... You're going to end up paying attention to people and just pretend like they're all alone in this thing. They're not all alone. I'm there. Do you understand? Do you understand, Peter, that before you ever get to these irritating people, that's where I spend my time. (laughs) When I was in this world, the Pharisees and the Sadducees used to get so mad at me because I hung around with sinners. And now, that's your job. And another thing, remember this, when you are kind to them, you're kind to me. Remember in Matthew 25 where Jesus thanks the people who have gone to the judgment for their ministry to him. And and they say, when did we ever minister to you? We never saw you. And he said, inasmuch as you have done unto the least of these, my brothers, you've done it unto me. You know. The least of these is not just poor people. The least of these is obnoxious people, too. It's true. And when you love them and when you're tender and when you show mercy, you're showing it to Christ because that's where he lives. I heard a story one time about an old preacher. I I like old preachers. Hope to be one someday. (laughs) Haven't got too long to go. 
But I, one of the things I like about old preachers is they just, they say what's up. You know, forget this political stuff. Forget this sensitivity training stuff. They just say what's up. And this old preacher was riding past this house and he just got the strongest impression from God that he ought to get off of his horse. This was way back in the old days and go up to this house. So he did. So he goes up and knocks on the door and takes off his hat. Matter of respect, you know. And this lady comes to the door and he said, Does Jesus live here? Well, she was so taken back, she, she didn't know what to say. She said, what? He said, does Jesus live here? Well, she was all flustered and she said, no, it's just my family and I. He puts his hat on him, walks off. She was so flustered, she went in to the room. Her, her husband was in there and she said, there's this old guy at the door that just asked me if Jesus lived here. And he said, he caught on to a little bit of it. He said, well, didn't you tell him that sometimes we go to that church on down the way? And didn't you tell her that, tell him that sometimes we contribute and, and we even taught Sunday school once? Didn't you tell him that? She looked at him and she said, no, I, I don't think that's what he was asking. Let me ask you, in your relationships, especially those to whom you have been given to tend. Does Jesus live there? Very simple question. Do you see him? Do you look at those people long enough to see Jesus? Because that's how you're going to be tender. That's how it will come to you to keep the main thing the main thing. Now let me tell you why. Just in closing, we need to be reminded of this. It's not just to minister to Jesus. Oh, that's the main purpose of our lives. To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Sometimes we come up short on that enjoyment part. I wish we wouldn't. But to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. But that's not the only reason. There's another reason. You live out in that world and you know what it's like. It can be as hard and as cruel and people need mercy. They need tenderness. They need love. They need sympathy. I remember Henry Ward Beecher was a grand old preacher. Had a huge church in New York, but never lost his heart, never lost his tenderness. And it was the middle of a bitter cold spell one winter. When one evening, the church services let out and he talked with people in the sanctuary for a while and then he followed them into the vestibule. And he spotted out of the corner of his eye this little ragtag paper boy. You know, back in the earlier part of the century, a lot of boys earned their living and contributed their families by selling papers. And here was this little boy who had been out trying to sell papers that night. It was so cold that he came in just for a little while to get warm in that vestibule, but he was still shivering when Beecher saw him. Beecher walked over to him. And of course, his first response was to reach in his pocket and grab all the money he had, which is what he did, and he pressed it in that little boy's cold and stiff fingers. But he didn't stop there. 
He got down on his knees in front of this little boy. He rubbed his head. He said, it's really cold out there tonight, isn't it? The little boy looked at him and said, it was until you came along. It's a cold world out there. It's been a cold history. At least it was till Jesus came along. You know what? For the people who live out there, it's still so cold. Wouldn't it be great if you could love to the degree that when you sympathize, people would think, you know, it was that way till you came along. Please pray with me. God, thank you for loving us the way that you did. It's not that we can love, but that you first loved us and gave us something to share with other people. God, there may be people in this sanctuary right now who have been trying to love in a human way and they just can't hold it steady. They just can't make it last because human love doesn't last. But they want the kind that doesn't fade. They want the kind that consistently pours in them and then through them, and that means they want you. But they realize they've got to give up that cold, hard, sinful world in order to invite you into their lives. And they're ready to do that. They're ready to say, Jesus, I can't pay for my sins, but you did. Would you come into my heart and live there and teach me how to love? And for the rest of us, God, who have prayed that prayer a long time ago, that somehow in all of this busyness, in all of this accomplishment, we lose the main thing. Help us. Help us. Love us. And let us love them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.